Open up to the book of Jude, chapter 1. As we study the book of Jude, um, one of the things that I, I think is important to know is that Jude was inspired by Peter, whose material is very similar in the second chapter of his second letter. And so, I, I, if you can, I want to encourage you to go home today and read Second uh, Peter, especially chapter 2. But let me share with you a couple of verses out of Second Peter that are related to our study today. In Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, Peter says that there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And notice what he says, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And so Peter says, I want you to know that in the church, they call themselves Christians, that there will be false teachers who will bring in destructive heresies, and Peter says, and many will follow them. And so later in Peter's second letter, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, You therefore, beloved, uh, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. And so he's talking to the church, and again, the motivation is love. And uh, these false teachers, they come in, and I, and I want to warn you. Peter tells the church, it's so cool how you're steady, but you need to be ready because false teachers are coming in. Counterfeit Christians are going to try to lead you astray. They're going to try to lead you away. Don't follow them because they are on their way to judgment. And we're going to see that especially today in the book of Jude. You know, it was Thursday night. I was on my way home and my wife called me. And it, it was a little, there was a little like of urgency in her voice. And she said, when you come home, you need to go in the garage and close the garage door and come into the house, the back door. And, this, and then, you know, she was like, like there was something going on. I'm like, why? what's going on? And she said, because there are helicopters flying over our house. And you know how you have the ring? And you guys, any of you have the ring, they tell you what's going on, right? I guess there was a pursuit. Uh, there was some guys from the neighborhood, in our neighborhood. And she said that the police chased them from L.A. all the way to our house. And they were in our neighborhood. They were there searching for these guys. And, and what she did, because she loves me, <laughs> is she warned me. He said, you can't just do things the way that you normally do. You know, you're real casual. You're in the garage. You're just, you know, hanging out. Then you come in the front door. She said, they'll get you, you know. So we need to do things a little different. And, and when we love people, if there's an imminent danger, if we love them, we warn them. And that's what Jude does. You know, initially he wanted to keep it calm. He wanted to make it common, but he found that he couldn't because Christians were in danger and therefore they needed to contend earnestly for the faith, to fight, fight the false teachers, fight for your family, fight for your church, fight for the church, fight for your lives. 
know, what we find going on today, even in the Christianity as a whole, is that the enemy is coming in, the world is coming in, and they're doing everything they can to try to completely change it and impurify it. You know, I have an article right here, and it's a, it's a crazy article someone gave me the other day. It's about a Canadian preacher in the church who doesn't believe in God. And so uh, you guys know, if you know anything about what's going on in the world today, the church in Europe, the church in England, the church in Canada are completely powerless. You know, the, the, the churches are dying. That, and, and what we find right here is that a crazy article is that, you know, people were challenging her because she didn't believe in God. And so they, well, how can she be the pastor of the church? And so they went to the, you know, the denomination, the heads of the denomination, and they had this big debate. And at the end of the day, she was allowed to continue to be the pastor of the church. She doesn't believe in God, but she does believe in what they call love. And that's what's going on. They don't know what love is. She believes in some type of impersonal love. No, we believe in a personal God who is holy. And if we're not careful, if we don't fight for the church, this generation, what will you leave to the next generation? And that's what Jude is talking about right here. Be so careful. There's so much on the line. Don't follow them because if you do, then you're following them to judgment. And whatever you do, don't be one of those Christians who say that God's too nice, that God won't judge. Oh, yes, he will. He will judge. And that's what we get to now in Jude. And so I want to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and, and brother of James, uh, who, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth, notice, as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You see, some people are thinking, well, God's too nice, God's loving, 
eventually everyone's going to get saved. That's not what the Bible says. You know, people will creep into the church and they might tell you a lie like that. Or they might tell you certain things that don't line up with Scripture. And this is why Jude is writing. He said, no, we have to, you know, go back to the things that we've learned in, in the Bible. I want to write this to you. He says there in verse 5, I want to remind you of what you know in the Scriptures. And we need to be reminded over and over and over again, right? He's reminding them of the Bible. And in one sense, he assumes they know it, that they've heard it before. And I wish I could say that uh, as a church. I'm sure you guys have read your Old Testament. You guys know this, right? But, but the truth is, that's not usually the case nowadays, even in the church. And we're a Bible-teaching church, but a lot of people don't read their Bibles. They don't really know these stories right here. It's interesting. I was reading an article on, on biblical literacy, and Americans, by and large, they don't know their Bibles. They revere it, but they don't read it. Fewer than half of Americans can name the four Gospels. Uh, Christians, they say, many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans believe that this is in the Bible, where you have guys heard that saying, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> no, God helps those who can help themselves. 12% uh, of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Can you believe that? <laughs> Graduating high school seniors, check this out. And this is going to go with our study today. 50% of those who graduate from high school believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Think about that. Uh, many of them believe that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. I mean, oh, just it's amazing to me how, I know I wish I could say, uh, oh, you guys know all this. I'm just reminding you of this. But a lot of times in the church, people don't even really know these things. You know, what we find is that this is something that we have to go back to and we have to read as a church. We should, however, all know the way that God saved and set free his people, the nation of Israel from Egypt. You know, we read all about that in the first book of Exodus. Again, that's what he says there in verse 5. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And so he uses that as an example, and we see that when you study the whole thing back in the book of Exodus, chapters 1 through 14, you guys remember the story, how God called Abraham, and then, you know, little by little, God began to add to his family, and 75 of them went to Egypt when Joseph went before them during the famine. It was a good thing. But then when you read the book of Exodus, it says that there was a population explosion among the Jews and then eventually there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And so what they did is they began to persecute them. They said they're uh, populating too rapidly. If they have any boys, uh, make sure you kill them. Eventually they were thrown in the river. You guys know this, right? And then eventually Moses goes in and uh, he's raised by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, God uses that to train him how to write, how to lead, how to fight. It's amazing what God does in Moses. And in the enemy's plan, God raises up a deliverer. But then you fast forward and, you know, 40 years uh, later, as he's there in the wilderness after having killed an Egyptian man, 
uh, God raised him up and then God humbled him. God made him usable. And then after that, that time, what had happened was the children of Israel had become the slaves in Egypt. They were slaves. Now, how do you get out of this? How can a, a group of slaves overcome the Egyptian nation? There's just no way unless God came in, and God did. God sent Moses. You guys remember the story. First they're in prison, then there's a person, Moses. He comes, and then there are the plagues. The water becomes blood. Frogs, lice, piojos. You guys ever had that? Flies, livestock disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. I mean, it's just amazing what God did to set them free from Egypt. I mean, it's just amazing how God stretched forth his hand and God showed his glory. And then the last plague was when God came and he said, I want you to take the blood of the lamb. I want you to put it on the doorposts of your house. And then when the angel of death visited them that night, he would then see the blood, and if he saw the blood, he would pass over. But all the others, all the Egyptians, every single household suffered the death of the firstborn. And it was by the blood of the Lamb that they were saved, that they were set free, that they were delivered. And think about that. What a glorious thing. And then you just... You just follow the whole story, man. And then, you know, when they leave, you guys remember in Exodus chapter 14, you have to read these stories. You have to know that because they're in Exodus 14. Then what ends up happening is uh, the people are there, probably three million people. And you have the Egyptian army. The guy, you know, Pharaoh changes his mind. He gets all his tanks, all his chariots. He comes after the, the Jews. God brings big fire between them, gives them time. He opens up the Red Sea. And they and they just, man, and then they walk through. The Red Sea is divided by God. The Egyptian army comes after them, and they get wiped out. They get drowned in the Red Sea. Now imagine you see that whole thing, and you look at that, and you're like, wow. Look at what God has done. And it's an amazing story. They, they, that's, what, that's what Jude says. They were delivered. They were saved. And he says, I want to remind you about this, though, that, that, that though you once knew this, the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. You know, as you read the history of Israel in that day, it's tragic because even though God had delivered them in such a clearly miraculous way, generally speaking, they did not obey. There was a lot of kicking and screaming and complaining going on. When you study their history, the, the first two years they traveled to and eventually camped at Mount Sinai where they received the law and the Ten Commandments. They had then the civil law of Israel, the ceremonial law. And so far, so good. And when that was done, it was time to go. They were going to go to the promised land. They set out on what Deuteronomy 1-2 calls an 11-day journey. And so when you go to Numbers chapter 13, it narrates a story how they said, okay, what we want to do is we're going to send in 12 spies. They're just going to check out the land. They're going to see how good it is. And so they came back. But you guys remember what happened? They went into the land and they saw these big dudes, nine feet tall, they saw the giants in the land. They saw the fortified walls. And so they came back and they gave a bad report to the people. The ten came back and influenced the crowd, the congregation, 
the people to go the wrong way. Now, it's interesting how it works because even when they came out of Egypt, there was a mixed multitude. Not everyone was saved, right? You guys remember that? And so it's a crazy thing how he uses that as an example. And what we find is that when they came to that place, these 12 men go into the land to spy it out, for God was about to cast them out just as he had brought them out of Egypt. God was now bringing them into Canaan, right? But what ends up happening is their faith failed, and 10 out of the 12 returned with a bad report. They said, we can't do this. They basically said, God can't do this. They basically said, we don't really believe in God. That's what ends up happening. They cried and complained and they wept and they asked why. And then in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 4, they said, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Jude here, he's using them as an example. And so when that came in, we eventually read God's death sentence on the defectors in Numbers 14, 29, where the Bible says, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. And so, you know, because you would figure, well, God brought them all out, three million out. He stretched out his arm. He saved them. I'm sure they're good. They're good to go. They're with the crowd. They're with the flow. And and I think in in looking at this, because a lot of times people will come to church and they'll say, well, everything's fine. You know, I'm... I go every week and uh, I give my, you know, $25 or whatever the case may be. And I'm sure I'm good with God. And what Jude is saying here is just, he's just saying to us, he's a, he's a warning. It's a warning to us. You know, there's, there's helicopters flying around your house. So there's guys that are, that are in the church. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. Number one, listen, we're saved by faith. Not everyone who goes to church Not everyone in this crowd, not everyone in this congregation, so to speak, is truly saved and truly believes. You know, whatever you do, don't think that because, you know, you you come that you're good. No, you, you, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right here it says, afterward, he destroyed those who did not believe. See? The other day I was talking to a dear sister and she goes, uh, she was actually attending a church in Texas and it was a, it's a good sized church and the church is growing, you know, and, uh, but she started to notice things about the church that didn't seem to line up with scripture. And so, you know, she started to question whether or not this church was really of the Lord until well, finally one day the pastor got up there and he literally said, listen, you don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to believe to belong. And I think they should have fired him right there and then. You do have to believe in order to belong in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, just because you come to church, just because you're going with the crowd, just because you got the t-shirt, just because you went forward one day, just because you said a certain prayer or whatever it is, you had some type of experience, you know, 10 years ago. Here's my question to you today. Do you believe today? Do you believe today? Because that's really the issue. 
You know, we have to be so careful that we don't get, you know, confused about this. You do have to believe to belong. And so, number one, we're saved by faith. And number two, we need to keep the faith. If you're a Christian, be careful. There's a lot of ways that God can discipline you. Here we see that they died. (laughs) They died. But I also think that as Christians, we need to keep the faith because, you know, at the end of the day, I think what ends up happening is the people get caught up in, you know, theology and Calvinism and all that kind of stuff. Once saved, always saved. Perseverance of the saints. Can you lose your salvation? Can you fall away? All that kind of stuff. And this is what I just have to say to you today. Always believe. Tomorrow, believe. Next year, believe. Ten years down the road, believe. Because Calvary Chapel has always taught that I am eternally secure as I abide in Jesus Christ. Now, some people, they were here. They were serving. They were speaking in tongues. They were preaching. Now they're partying. Now they're getting high. Now they're living every single weekend in Las Vegas. Well, they're saved, yeah, because they said the prayer one day. You know what? You can have that theology if you want, but I want mine to be a lot more practical. Do you believe today? That's what he's saying. That's the warning. That's what Peter said. You therefore, my beloved, you know, beware lest you also, even though you're steadfast, you're also led away. It's a heavy warning. You know, they were influenced and persuaded by ten doubters, by the mixed multitude, by the liars and defiers. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys, uh, you got to be really careful I was uh, just having some fun. Do you guys ever go surfing on the internet? Probably not, huh? You guys are smarter than that. Well, I do sometimes just to do research for for this. And it's kind of funny how sometimes I think it's the Lord. But I was looking up the word influence, just the word influence. And I came across the word influenza, influenza. And so I was like, hey, I never knew there was a relationship between these two words. You guys know what influenza is, right? It's the flu. It's the flu. And some of you are paranoid of the flu, which is a good thing. You know, but I was like, I was like, wow, that, that's where the word influence is related to that word and how when you're around someone and they have the flu and they're coughing and they're sneezing and they got their mocos all over the place, that you're more susceptible to catching that, right? There's that influenza, there's that influence. And I think for us. The same is true. That's why you have to be so careful, you know, who, who you're running with, right? I think for us, if you're listening to this false teacher, you know, maybe you like the way his, 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 his dress, he's got skinny jeans or something, you know, and he's really cool and he's tatted down, and that's fine, you know, but man, what's the content? Is he, is he teaching the word? And today in the church, you don't have a lot of people really teaching the Bible. Why don't they teach the Bible? You want to know why a lot of times they don't teach the Bible? Part of it is because they don't think you can handle it. They don't think you want it. And so they give you what you, know, you want to hear. And so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I know it's not exactly the same, but this, the chocolate-covered strawberries... It's okay to have a little chocolate, right? But, you know, you, you want to give them, you know, something good. Or there's salads. Do you guys ever put, like, is there, do you ever have that time? Your salad is, is, is swimming and, and dressing. <laughs> you may think you're doing good, but it's not. 
good for you that way. All I'm saying is that it's okay to try to teach the word, you know, a little bit of rhyme, a little bit of rhythm, you know how I am. That's just my style. Or a little bit of illustrations here and there, but, but primarily just give me the Bible, teach it line upon line, word by word, precept upon precept, because what happens is when a congregation falls in love with God, they fall in love with the Bible. And we're not afraid to say what we need to say. You know, when you look at this, there's an important parallel passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I was wondering if you could turn there. Because Paul also issued this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, Moreover, brethren, in verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. How do you know? For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. Now who's Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians. Don't, don't lust. Don't become idolaters. As written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come, here it is. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And if I started lusting after women, and I, and I said, that's okay, you know, I'm a Christian, God forgives, and the next thing you know, I start looking at porn. That's okay, God forgives, I'm a Christian. And that next thing you know, one thing leads to another and the opportunity rises up. And then the next thing you know, oh, I'm okay, I'm a Christian. I mean, how many Christian men here today, Christian men, would say that you're not tempted? See, if you don't guard yourself, I'm telling you, man, we can go the wrong way real fast. And so there's a warning because our responsibility as a church and as a spiritual leader is that you get to heaven. Don't play with sin. Don't play with sin. And that's what he's saying here. Man, this is an example to us. And if you were to talk to most Bible teachers, they would tell you that Egypt is symbolic of being in the world and then, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ dying for our sins, the Passover lamb, that's symbolic of our salvation. Going through the Red Sea is symbolic of baptism. Baptism is when you're saved. You don't get baptized until you're saved. But then you're in the wilderness. And that's where you've got to be careful. You know, there's a lot here in Jude. I've got to go back because, man, this is heavy stuff. We're just beginning here. 
What we find in, in, in Jude verse 5, I think when I look at it, I think that these are people just caught up in religion. But then secondly, in Jude, look at verse 6. After using the children of Israel as an example, he uses the angels as an example. And he says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so in one sense, the children of Israel were guilty of religion. And then in another sense, now the angels are guilty of rebellion. These angels, it says right here, did not keep their proper domain. And so I encourage you, when you get a chance, you read Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and you'll see the fall of Lucifer, also mentioned in Ezekiel 28, 11 through 15, because I'm running out of time, and I really want to make sure I cover verse 7. But you guys know, huh, if you don't, just in case you don't, that demons are fallen angels. Angels were created by God, and what we find is in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4, it says, And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And so Satan was at one time an anointed cherub. And, and, and he, was, he was perfect. He was probably the worship leader of, in heaven. He was beautiful. Until one day he said, you know what? It's not enough that I'm an angel. I will be like God. And what we find is that we're going to see this kind of filtered throughout the book of Jude. These guys, they weren't content. They wanted more. Satan, the same way. And so God cast him down. And he drew a third of the angels with him. You know, there's, there's that part of it. But I will tell you this, because the book of Jude, and I know we're taking a long time to go through it, but it's so, it's so important for us today to know it well. You know, the book of Jude is related to Second Peter. It's also a drawing from the, the apocryphal book uh, of Enoch. And so what you'll find is that some of those apocryphal books, although they're not inspired by God, there is some historical significance to it. And when you see Enoch, and it's interesting because some of the fragments of those writings were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and so there's some merit to it. But what we find is that in the book of Enoch, it says that what Jude is talking about right here is in Genesis chapter 6, when the Bible talks about these, uh, these uh, sons of God going into the daughters of men. The daughters of men uh, were beautiful women, and the sons of God is another reference to angels. And there are many theologians, conservative theologians. I just read Expositor's Bible Commentary, which is a well-known conservative uh, commentary. It said that what he's talking about right here is how these angels somehow, they came down, they left their proper abode, they went beyond the boundaries that God had given to them, and they had somehow sexual relations with these women. Now, whether they you know, um, somehow possessed a body to do it, or there's something more significant to that, we don't know. But it's interesting because it was right after that where God said, 
I have to judge the world. And that's when he brought the flood. Remember? And so what we're finding is, is, is not just religion, but now the angels guilty of rebellion. And what God says right here is that they, they're, they're, they're reserved in everlasting chains waiting for judgment. Now, demons, if you think about it, they're free and they're tempting and they're here and they're all over the place. But these ones, there's something more significant to them. And so when you, when you read these portions right here in Jude, you've got to know who's he judging and, and, and why is he judging and how is he judging. Well, he's judging his people, for one, who don't believe. It's interesting. Now he's judging angels. Think about that. Because sometimes people think, well, I'm a pastor or I'm you know, some guy who has a significant position in the church, and, and that's fine, but... That's not nothing. I mean, God was not hesitant to judge angels. We have to be so careful that we're not guilty of just religion or, or, or we're not guilty of rebellion. And then the third one is, is so heavy. Because these, if that's the case, if it is that these angels, angelic creatures... We're guilty of having sexual relations with, with women. It kind of makes sense now because in verse 7, the word as. Now, in the Greek language, it means kind of like. It's like this is connected. It's not, you know, it, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. If you have an NIV, it says even as or, or in a similar way. And what we're talking about right here is probably that rebellion that led to sexual sin. You know, what we find is that the cities around them, it's fascinating how it simply, it just spreads like the flu. You've got, you know, the, the, the whole nation of Israel steered the wrong way by the ten spies or the mixed multitude. You've got a third of the angels led in the wrong direction by Satan. And now you have the spread of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah because it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. It says in the cities around them, in a, in a similar fashion. And we read this account in Genesis chapter 19, and I thought it would be good to turn there. I know we don't have a lot of time, but just in case, you know, because maybe you're here and you're thinking, Manny, we don't need to turn there. Everybody's already read this. You know what? <laughs> a lot of us haven't, huh? I encourage you, read your Old Testament. Look what it says here in Genesis 19. It says, Now the two angels came to Sodom, in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And so what had happened was in the previous chapter, uh, God uh, had come and appeared to Abraham with two angels. And uh, we read in, in, in Genesis 13, 13, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And Genesis 18 and verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. 
As the Lord's talking to Abraham, he says, I'm going to judge this city. I'm going to ju- judge them. And Abraham's thinking, well, wait a minute. My nephew Lot is there. And so he begins to intercede for him, right? And what ends up happening is, uh, man, there's not even 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God goes in. He does rescue Lot and his daughters with these angels. But as these angels go in to kind of see, hey, what's really going on here? It says that Lot was there in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And so in those days, I'm sure if you read your Bible, you know about the importance of hospitality. They didn't have a holiday in. And so if you were a good person, you saw someone, you would invite them in. And so he, think, he just thinks they're a couple of guys. He doesn't know they're angels. And so he invites them in and they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. And then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and and they ate. Interesting, huh? These angels are eating. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Think about this. They surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now this Hebrew word right here is another word for basically we want to have sexual relations with them. And so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, and this is horrible, but look what Lot says. I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And it's a horrible thing to read, but what Lot is saying is not just the fact that, hey, they come into my house, and I'm kind of you know, going to be hospitable to take care of them, but what he is is acknowledging before the presence of God the abomination of homosexuality, the absolute abomination of it. And so what ends up happening, it says in verse 9, they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he's acting as a judge and now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. I mean, they were going to get Lot. The angels rescue him. And these guys are blind. They're still trying to engage in their sin. And so you guys know what happened, right? Eventually, Lot you know, is rescued by the angels along with his two daughters. Even though they were betrothed to men, these guys didn't believe. And so God then rained down, literally, fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he did. It's the vengeance of eternal fire. You you go to Israel today and you want to know where Sodom and Gomorrah are? the Dead Sea. And so what we find back in Jude is a heavy, heavy, heavy warning. 
You know, for the children of Israel, God's people saved. He says, be careful that it never, ever becomes just religion. You got to make sure you believe till the day you die. You know, to the angels, it doesn't matter what position you have. Be careful of rebellion. I will be like the Most High God. No, don't promote yourself. And then to the, to the Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, what he's saying right here is, you have, you know, the church, and I think a lot of times it's accepted in the church, and it's creeping into the church, and if we're not careful, if we don't fight this, then the church will experience the perversion of, 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 of our, very, our very life, our very families, of our societies. When people come in and say it's okay you know, to be gay and to be a Christian, when in all reality, God, it says right here, look at Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. In other words, you know, men are called to be with women. Men are not called to be with men. Women are not called to be with women. But this is a strange thing. They're set forth, notice, as an example. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, some people say, wow, did that really happened? Yeah, it really happened. Jesus spoke about it in Luke 17, in verse 29. He said, on that day, the lot went out of Sodom. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You see, it's a warning to us. In the Greek word here, translated strange in verse 7, it speaks of an attraction that's not natural, which would then take me to the book of Romans. And I was wondering if you could turn there. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so it always starts with this, you guys. It always starts with God saying, I want you to be saved because when you're saved, you'll be able to understand what I'm talking about. You know that we are guilty of sin, separate ourselves from God. So the Lord sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again. And as we place our faith in him, we trust in him for our righteousness. It's by faith the just shall live by faith. And so that's my prayer today. I don't know all of you. I know most of you. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know all of you guys. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're going to die in your sins. And you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. Why? Because you didn't receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, that's bad news. But the good news is that you can be free and forgiven and you can experience the love of God the forgiveness and the freedom that place in heaven by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you today, I beg you, do that today. Don't let it just be a religion. Let it be a relationship that you have with God. Listen, you know, you know where you stand. You know if you're right with God. If you're living the same life that you used to live, C.H. Spurgeon said, a, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. Just come to Christ. 
Watch what happens. But what we find right here, it says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Sometimes they say, oh, there's no God, when all you have to do is look at creation. Not only do you see that there's an ex- there is a God who exists, but he's an awesome God. That's what he's saying here. But they suppress the truth so that they were without excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And so here he begins to talk about the idolatry. And therefore, in verse 24, the Bible says, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And, and I don't know for sure, but I think this, te- this is evolution here. This is evolution. Where you believe that we're here by random chance. There's no creator. There's no maker. There's no maintainer. And they exchange the truth of God for the lie. And then it just digresses. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And, and, you know, we need to talk more about this, I think, as a church. Right now we're running out of time, but I will say this, that because we see what's going on in our world today, um, I, I was reading an article yesterday about a guy who said, I'm neither male nor female. He's some famous person. Um, sexual, gender, identity, confusion, chaos. You know, not only do we see it in the world where they say it's okay to be gay, we're now seeing it in the church. And according to Romans chapter 1, it's a sign that God, God's judgment is beginning. God gave them up. God's beginning to give them up. And so for us, we love everyone. Whatever you do, you don't go out there and, you know, you get, you know, you don't bully people. You love them. You love them. We see them, we interact with them all the time, right? Because that's the influenza of the world. That's the the spirit of the age that we live in. This is like the watershed issue of our day. And so we see it everywhere. We love them. But whatever you do, never compromise 
You know, when they ask you a question about, well, where do you stand in this? Listen, this, let me just tell you, I'll just t- read to you what the Bible says. I mean, this is so clear that I would say you don't even have to be a Christian to understand what this says. So that's all you have to do. Oh, Manny, where do you guys stand in this? Oh, let me just read to you Romans chapter 1. Let me read to you where the Bible says no homosexual will inherit the kingdom of God. And so all I'm saying is that we have to fight for the faith. We have to contend for it earnestly. Because if not, then you, go, you fast forward 10 years down the road, and the church is not going to be the church. I mean, there'll be a remnant scattered if God tarries. But don't cave in. Don't compromise. I know when I, when I look at these right here, I think the unbelief in God is religion. Playing God is rebellion. Life without God is perversion. And even though I know the whole world is saying it's okay, listen, God doesn't say that. And what Jude is doing right here is he's, he's warning us. Let me, let me close with this illustration. Maybe you heard you know, the, the magazine, the Naval Institute, relays a story, an important lesson about how two naval ships assigned to training had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. And the relaying of the story said, the guy said this, I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, and so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported light bearing on the starboard bow. And so the captain asked, is it steady or moving? And the lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant that they were on a dangerous collision with that ship. And so the captain called to the signalman, and he said, signal that ship. We're on a collision course. We advise you to change 20 degrees. The captain said, tell them, uh, uh, this message. And so back came the signal, and they said, we advise you to change course 20 degrees. And then the captain said, well, tell them I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. The response came back, I'm a seaman, second class, but you should change course 20 degrees. And by that time, the captain was furious, and he shouted out, send the message, I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. And then back came the message, I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) Change course, 20 degrees. And he did. And we're living in a world that says, well, I'm a a governor. Well, I'm God. I'm, I'm the king. Listen, I'm the king of kings. Well, I'm a Supreme Court justice. Listen, I am the judge of the universe. He's the lighthouse. And if you want to, you can go ahead and follow the whole world all the way to judgment. But I would encourage you instead, follow God.